So, Jamie. Yes, Matt. Did you hear about Trappist One? Oh, yeah, that old thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, uh, guess how long it would take to get there if you travelled in the space shuttle at full speed? Oh, just a few years? Yeah, just 1.5 million. What? (laughs) The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts, here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Welcome to the Interplanetary Podcast. Putting the ace... Back into, into space. space. Imagine how bored you'd get. It, it would be like, you know, oh oh, my what God. should we do, lads? Um, I spy? Well, it, no, yeah, oh my God, it'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Because say if you played a thousand years of cribbage. Yeah. That means you'd be able to do a thousand years of cribbage 1,500 times. It'd get really boring. <laughs> Yeah, it would get really boring. Even, even oh cribbage, God. even cribbage would get boring. Matt Trappist, how exciting is this story? Talk about capture the, the public imagination, and not just the science public. No, this was front page news. I know. It's not very often we get a nice big space story, particularly that involves interplanetary discovery. I love it when I go onto the BBC website and the very first big front story is something about science or space yeah it's it's really heartwarming it's not just about trump uh, nice or anything like that you know <laughs> yes this is great uh, what was really funny is that nasa had sort of said that they're going to make this big announcement on wednesday and everyone's really really excited what's it going to be and then of course when you look at the people that are making the announcement it's not hard to it wasn't hard to sort of know that it was about exoplanets but then if you looked at their yes. work, it actually wasn't that hard to uh, find out that they were going to announce that there was going to be seven exoplanets. So, seven, yeah, so, I mean, I, incredible. So for, for me, who's always scouring all the, the interplanetary news sources, um, I kind of had the surprise spoilt for me a little bit. And I tried to spoil it for everyone else by posting it on my Facebook. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but Well, let's look at the quote. Let's look at the quote. Some 40 light years from Earth, a planet called TRAPPIST-1e offers a heart-stopping view. Brilliant objects in a red sky, looming like larger and smaller versions of our own moon. But these are no moons. I mean, it sounds like something from Star Wars. Yeah, I mean... That's no, that's no moon. That's no moon. It's a planet. So, yeah, I mean, that's the, I love... Uh, have you seen the NASA's vintage posters that they do? They've done one for TRAPPIST-1. Yeah, one, yeah. And, it, and, it's, and, it's and it is great. It's beautiful. Um, and... The thing that I like about this one is the fact that it wasn't Kepler that discovered uh, that uh, sort of did all the work on this one. It was actually Spitzer, yeah. the NASA Spitzer yeah. space telescope that we talked about on the show before. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it, so it, it's a. I think, and I think, and 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 listeners do correct me if I'm wrong about this. This is one of the ones where the, where it's to do with the dip in the light as the planets transit across the surface of the star, um, mm. which. Which means we're really, really lucky to have seen it anyway, because it just so happens that the plane of these orbits just so happens to be pointing at us. So, I wish. So, was it discovered by accident, or was this actually looking for exoplanets? Well, I mean, I think it's looking for exoplanets. So, this uh, it's it's an is it an M dwarf plant uh, star that they're looking at? I want. I wanted to talk about ultra cool dwarf, which I'm pretty sure was my nickname at school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Which still hurts, but you know what? Now I feel better about yeah, do you, I it. Yeah, um, do you think Sleepy 
is the ultra cool dwarf. He's he was always pretty it's cool. It's funny, wasn't isn't it? There's seven dwarfs yeah. and there's seven planets around this dwarf star. That is true. Maybe we'll have to do another cartoon. But yeah, they went on to say so they are they are other Earth-sized planets in a spectacular planetary system outside of our own. These seven rocky worlds huddle around their small, dim red star, like a family around a campfire. It's all very romantic. But Matt, let's talk science. So yeah, I mean, so this ultra-cool dwarf. If if the sun was the size of a football, Trappist One would only be the size of a golf ball. That gives you some kind oh, of blimey. Okay. So obviously, for these planets to be near enough to be nice and warm, i.e. in the Goldilocks zone, so that water stays liquid on the surface. Not too hot so it evaporates, and not too cold so it goes frozen. Um, That that means it's habitable, you know, maybe, if the atmosphere's right. Um, So so it means that their orbits have to be a lot, lot closer in. Uh, And and they all are, these seven rocky planets. And what's, what's amazing, actually, is that there's enough data that you can tell in actual fact that these are the density of these planets. And they're very, very similar to Earth. I mean, like, amazingly so, like 75% to 110% the size of Earth. So, I mean, it's like they fall very much in that kind of Earth-sized planet. You know, they're all bigger than Mars, uh, and they're all roughly the sort of same size as, as Earth. It's really quite amazing. And So what's the the difference in... um, in uh, distance between this and Earth and Centauri and Earth? Uh, well, I think it's about 10 times further away, isn't it? Isn't it? It's about four light years to um, Proxima. That's right. And it's about 40, mm. I think, to Trappist 1. So right. okay. it, <laughs> it is a long, yeah. long, long way away, unfortunately, isn't it? So we started off by talking about how long it would take if you're in the fastest. Uh, space shuttle that we've got today <laughs> but but you you also mentioned that breakthrough starshot yeah. would probably arrive in less than 200 yeah. years uh, whilst it's still two <laughs> centuries away uh it still seems you know a drop in the ocean compared to actually our technology now yeah i mean it to say say if there was life on these planets it, so we'd say hello and then 80 years later we'd get the hello back and that's travelling at light speed, obviously. Mm. Uh, and then, so even communicating, even just the act of communication, communication is longer than a human lifetime, essentially. Imagine if, imagine if we said hello, and then eighty years later, they said, sorry, I didn't quite they, catch they, that. They just, they, yeah, they, yeah, they just said sorry. What? <laughs> I, could, I didn't go. Could you? <laughs> even more annoying if they did that whole. Uh, you've got to end the transmission with over. What? Even when the sentence ends in over, yeah. ends in what? Like in Family Guy, ends in what? Sorry, incredible. One yeah. of the best cartoon but, sketches. But if ever. you had eighty year gap in between each one, then yeah, that would be even funnier. Yeah, that could be a bit more frustrating. <laughs> wow, incredible. So so yeah, so breakthrough. Yeah, I mean breakthrough Starshot even travelling at twenty percent of the speed of light. That's one hundred and thirty four million miles an hour would only get there in yeah. two hundred years. I mean. That's, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? Uh, that is insane. Yeah, and so what was it named? What was Trappist named after, Matt? Uh, do you know what? I don't know. Can you tell me? Let me tell you. Trappist was named after the transiting planets, and planetesimals, small telescope, Trappist in Chile. 
Oh, three of the planets in the TRAPPIST-1 system were initially discovered in May 2016. And with the help of numerous ground-based telescopes, including the European Southern Observatory's Very Large Telescope. I still love that name. <laughs> what are we going to call it, lads? Uh, Spitzer was able to confirm the existence of the two planets and discovered five additional ones in the process. That's amazing, isn't it? See, I remember the press conference almost a year ago, um, back in May, when they discovered these mm. planets around TRAPPIST-1. Uh, which, which I think was the spoiler, really, for for what was going to happen next, because of course mm. it was all the, those scientists' names that cropped up on the. Oh, and these are the people that are going to give the NASA announcement. So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it, yeah. <laughs> but that yeah, the Trappist, yes, transiting planets and planetesimal small telescope. Yeah, but not a very large telescope. Lots and it, it's a nice. as Jonathan McDowell said. Uh, when he was on the show, it, it takes lots and lots and lots of different types of telescopes to sort of hone down enough data. The facts right about all these things. So yeah, it's it's an amazing international effort. These things. I'd love to be. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. You know, maybe like a few days before they announce to the public what they've what they've discovered. Mm. It must be really exciting. I'll tell you what's an interesting one as well. That they're. Their orbits are, are very, very circular, a bit like Earth's is pretty circular, and the orbits of these ones are mm. pretty circular as well. But because they're all tightly bunched up and nearer the star, they can all see each other very, very clearly. So they would be the sort of size of the moon up in the up in the sky. So, so you could look see, at... See, that's really interesting. Look at, I mean, it really does... Imagine, Matt, if there is life on... Let's say... Let's let's just cast our minds mm-hmm. out. Let's free, let's open your mind, Matt, OK? Open your mind, Imagine that Quattle. there's... Imagine that there's... <laughs> imagine that there's life on all of them, right? Mm. And they haven't yet evolved and aren't intelligent enough... Um, as we are, to create uh, machines that can get to these other planets. But imagine if they can... Imagine if they can see each other going round. Oh, man. It's, I mean... <laughs> imagine well, that. No, imagine, imagine the first Galileo one of them that would put, pick up his telescope and go, right, I'm going to look at these strange objects, looks at them, and can yeah. actually see large cities and things like that on the... <laughs> yeah, like they can see life, yeah. but they can't they, they actually can't communicate with it. Amazing. Yet. And then, then they start communicating. I mean, here's an interesting one, is that some of... And then we rock up and go, oh, all, right, right, all right, let's... But one, do, you want, do you want a lift? <laughs> but the thing is, we will rock up in thousands of years' time, I would imagine, by the time <laughs> we've got, you know, humans themselves, by the time we've got technology to get out there. Uh, who knows? Wait you know? a minute, Matt. Are you telling me that I'm going to be dead before no, because, we actually get no, there? No, because we, we're, we're going to live forever. Post-singularity post oh, yeah, post and all that, remember, Jamie? Who wants to live, live forever? forever? It's who dares to live forever. <laughs> I hope you're all holding your lighters in the yes, air, people. Come on. Um, some of these planets, because they're slightly less dense than Earth, means that their gravity's not as much. So actually, it's much easier for them to become spacefaring intelligence. So if there if there was intelligence, they'd be able to get off the planet easier and would be able to uh, visit their other planets easier. So maybe we we there is an uh, the first kind of spacefaring nation that's able to colonise the other planets in its solar system nearby. I mean, that would be incredible. And you imagine how much that would advance their, you know, advance their technology. Because they would obviously, instead of, like, wasting time going to the moon or wasting time going to Mars, if they were able to go to sort of planets that were habitable straight off, it would make their life, you know, it would make that whole push for space that much more interesting and that much more worthwhile. 
you know, if and also if they're travelling to other places where there is other life. Oh, no. I mean, I don't want to get too crazy, but then imagine how they can become kind of, kind of double intelligent. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, um... Because as you know, Matt, by Stephen Jay Gold, they, he said that evolution, if it happened on another planet or happened on our planet at another time, it wouldn't happen in the same way. No. So you wouldn't get the same type of human being. Or, or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, you certainly wouldn't get human beings. You'd get Imagine some, that. <laughs> you'd get something crazy. I know. Yeah, because it's like a tree branch and it wouldn't be the same any other time. Yeah. I, I, oh, my God. I'm getting more excited I am getting more now, excited. I need to calm down. We're definitely going to talk... I need to chill we're out. We're going to talk more about um, uh, exoplanets uh, uh, in a couple of weeks' time because we're going to get Harriet back to kind of tell us all about them. Yeah, proper ast- Harriet's back. Proper astrophysicist. So I'm looking forward to that episode. Uh, Jamie... Do you know yes. what my favourite, even more favourite than this, I got so excited about it that I just I couldn't... I know what you're going to say. Is You're going to say Winston Win- Churchill. I am going to say you? Winston Churchill. I, I, it is great. I can't, I can't quite believe it. <laughs> right, now I've got a question. Yeah. This quote that you're about to say, why was it not made public in 1939? I don't know. I think he thing about Winston Churchill. He was right. He's he remember he was a Nobel Prize winning author before he was mm. the uh, Prime Minister of wartime Britain. And I think yes. so. He wrote a lot of these sort of. He wrote lots and lots and lots of different articles and handed them around. And obviously, there wasn't much interest in in space at the time. I, you know, not you know. It's very everyone was interested in staying alive. Yeah. So how how appropriate. After this Trappist One discovery is this quote from mm. Churchill, Winston it's Churchill. Really beautiful. And I'm just going to point out that Winston Churchill is my eighth cousin. For the, <laughs> that's my big. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's my big. Matt, this isn't a lie. Either, no, is it? no, that is actually true. <laughs> so, uh, and here's his Churchill's. Here's, here's my old cousin's quote. He goes, "I am not sufficiently conceited to think that my son is the only one with a family of planets." That is. Amazing. So I mean, so Churchill back in 1939. This is this is pretty much on the eve of war with Nazi Germany. <laughs> he wrote this paper about life on other planets. Do you think that he wrote it because there was a chance that the end of civilization as we knew it was going to come to an end? Uh, well, do you think he started to get quite you know profound and philosophical? No, I just think I actually think that Churchill was really really into the sciences. He's he was mm. he was. A very very clever man, and uh, and as the man that's in charge of uh, uh, who who actually discovered these things, a, a chap called Livio, uh, wrote in Nature when he sort of discovered this uh, paper by Churchill. He says, "At a time when a number of today's politicians shun science, I find it moving to recall a leader who engaged with it so profoundly." So I think oh, God, I mean this, we need that today. As yeah, well, don't we? so I think this, this whole Churchill paper. It really speaks volumes about right now. It's, it, it echoes the Trappist One discovery of planets around another star, and it also echoes this whole this whole uh, slightly anti scientific mo- movement amongst politicians. I mean, so where can people go and read his whole 
essay. Do you know what? I've been trying to find the whole essay, but I can't... Because I've only read that one line so far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's another line in there. It says, Churchill noted uh, that there must be other planets of the right size to keep water and possibly an atmosphere and at the proper distance from their parent sun to maintain a suitable temperature. I mean, he's absolutely so bang rad. on. This is like 1939. So yeah, that's insane, isn't yeah. it? And so, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's in Missouri. It's a, it's a, they found it in a library in Missouri. Just sort of well, I'd love to, love to read the whole In lot. fact, there it, it is. Astrophys- astrophysicist Mario Livio discovered the documents while browsing the archives of the US National Church- Churchill Museum in Fulton, Missouri. Wow. Well, so, we should stick that up on the blog, shouldn't we? I know, absolutely. As in the, the whole essay. Well, I mean, I wish I could find the whole essay. I, I don't. Th- I was trying to find a, a PDF or whatever of the whole essay, mm. and I can't find it. Oh, at well, the we'll keep looking for well, it. Well, so we'll keep looking. If if anyone, if anyone has got the uh, a transcript of that essay, it'd be fantastic if you could email it over to the podcast. Do you know my favourite uh, Churchill quote, Matt? I, and I, this isn't word for word, but when somebody said that they're going to have to stop funding the arts and the sciences, um, because we need to put money into the war. He said, well, what, what are we fighting for then? Yeah. Isn't that great? Oh, he, uh, Churchill is undoubtedly just great. <laughs> right, right, right person at right time. Um, I, I, so, I, um, do you know what my f- favourite Churchill quote is? Go on. <laughs> this woman comes up to him and said, oh, you're a horrible man. If, 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 I, would, if I was your wife, I'd, I'd, I'd make you poison. I'd put poison in your tea. And Churchill turned round to her and said, well, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. Fantastic. So (laughs) It's absolutely perfect. Yeah, well, he's a quick-witted man. Lots of Churchill quotes. It's either Churchill, Shakespeare or Mark Twain. They're the three quote kings, aren't they? With Carl Sagan at at a sort of distant fourth. Imagine that lot round the table. <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be the best. In that'd fact, that'd be quite a dinner. Yeah, in fact, we should have the, the the ultimate dinner. Churchill's crept in with this paper. I have to say, Carl Sagan and Feynman, Churchill. So, oh listeners, gosh. we'd like to know your ultimate um, dinner table dinner of, of famous people. Well, yeah. Who would who would they be? You're allowed four. Who would they be? So, Matt would be what? Churchill, Sagan, Feynman. Yeah. And who's who's the who's going to be my fourth? It's got well, Freddie Mercury, obviously. Yeah, Freddie Mercury. Done. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's quite yeah, a I just I would just love the fact when Churchill would say something and Freddie would go, what was that, my dear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't, oh, oh, don't be like ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Right. Absolutely amazing. Uh, um, All right, we're digressing. Yeah, Matt, we have digressed. I think we should talk about the... Uh, I think we should well, go on to a, a bit more of another British story in the press this week. In fact, not yeah. as much in the press as I thought it would be. I kind of stumbled across this on the UK Space Agency website, like yeah. you do. Joe Johnson, or... Jojo, Bojo's yeah. sister, <laughs> Boris Johnson's sister. Uh, nice. <laughs> uh, she's um, uh, she's the universities and science ministers for the present Conservative government we have over here, and they are launching um, uh, the UK's um, spaceports. You know, they're they're really, really oh. sort of trying to. 
get this thing done. So the, uh, Catherine Courtney, who's the CEO of the UK Space Agency, um, uh-huh. and I think this is an amazing quote, says, together we are working to embrace the emerging small satellite launch market to capture a share of the 25 billion global opportunity. 25 billion pound global opportunity. I'm confident that 2020... 2020, that's only like three years away, we'll see the first launch from British soil. And we're working really hard to make that a reality. Can you believe that? That's so ace. And that's so soon. That is beyond exciting. I wonder when they can confirm something like that. Yeah, and, and and it would make... It would make the UK the first place in Europe where space launches are taking place from, which... Yeah, because the nearest one to us, I assume, is either Florida or Kazakhstan. Yeah, we, we, I guess Kazakhstan's nearer, isn't it? The uh, yeah. I'm not sure as the, as the crow flies. And, of course, that means that uh, maybe they're sort of preparing the ground for um, Skylon. Oh, imagine that. Because it, it does mention space planes and it does mention all, all these mm. sort of things. So this should be... This should be an amazing uh, moment. It should be. I concur. Uh, so Joe Johnson, mm. Jojo, uh, from the, uh, said, from the launch of Rosetta, the first spacecraft to orbit a comet, to Tim Peake's six months on the International Space Station, the UK space sector has achieved phenomenal things in orbit and beyond. With this week's space flight, Bill Launch, we will cement the UK's position as a world leader in this emerging market, giving us an opportunity to build on existing strengths in research and innovation through our industrial strategy. We'll harness this potential, creating an environment where companies across the sector will thrive. So that is a very exciting really news exciting. For, the, uh, for British space, isn't it, really? and uh, imagine, imagine a launch, the first launch on British soil. Oh, my gosh. Well, and and uh, personally, I really, really hope that, that the first spaceport will be the one down in Newquay, uh, the Newquay Cornwall Airport one, which is near... Go- that would be great. Yeah, because... Nice, nice location. Yeah, because my friends down at Goon Hilly, they, they'll, they'll be all part of that. So, uh, yeah, that'd be... Goon Hilly? Goon Hilly. Remember, I went... I went. That sounds like something from <laughs> a cartoon. It does. Uh, Goon Hilly, remember, I went down and climbed some of the radar dishes down there. I do remember. Yeah, uh, and uh, that will form part of the, you know, uh, part of the uh, tracking stations and things so that should oh, be really ace. really exciting that really is and, and i'm gonna and i'm gonna stay with british space flight here oh here we go so another one of our heroes colin michael fall or michael fall as most people call him uh is uh is of course probably Brit, uh the britain's most successful um astronaut in fact he he pretty much definitely is Britain's most successful astronaut. Uh, yeah. Although he is, he, he's got US citizenship and UK citizenship. He's joint citizenship yeah. there. He's he's the, one of the most decorated astronauts of all time, and he's recently uh, been inducted into the Astronaut Hall of Fame with his fellow space shuttle crewmate Ellen Okoa, who was the first. Do you know, I didn't I didn't know there was an astronaut hall of fame. Yeah, no, there is an astronaut hall of fame. Yeah, Ellen Ochoa is the first Hispanic woman to fly into space. Oh, that's ace as well. Yeah. So good work, Ellen. So yeah, Michael Fole, it's worth just quickly noting some of his like uh, key key achievements. Uh, one of them being that he has he flew on the Mir space station. Uh-huh. Uh, and when there was an, an accident on that, he used his ability to look out the window and look at stars and the way they moved with his thumb up against the window and was able to stabilise the spaceship. 
you know, <laughs> no, it's like that's insane. He, that's like something from Hollywood. Yeah, no, he he proper proper amazing uh, bit of skill. He was the first British person to ever to perform a spacewalk. Nice, uh, and he he did hold the record for the most time spent in space by a U.S. citizen, which was three hundred seventy-four days, eleven hours, nineteen minutes. Uh, but that was broken uh-huh. after two thousand and eight. Scott Kelly. Uh, well, yes, yeah, Scott Kelly's broken that since then as well. Um, mm. And, and it obviously, he's by far, uh, in, in terms of UK citizen, he's f- easily holds the the time in space record. Uh, yeah, come on, Peak, you need to catch up. Yeah, so he comes from uh, Lincolnshire. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and he's he he also helped fix the Hubble Space Telescope. So uh, Did he? yeah. Yeah, he was one of those guys. <laughs> He's been the uh, commander of the space station. He has flown a uh, the space shuttle a few times. <laughs> he's, he's, but, he's but Matt, let me ask you: Is he happy? <laughs> he is a happy chappy, and <laughs> and he and, and he has devoted now his life to uh, green aviation technology. So he's hmm. he's out there um, uh, helping to develop electric aircraft. Uh, and is involved in uh, running International Space Schools Education Trust. Yeah. Uh, and uh, mission discovery and trips to Star City in Russia. He's involved with that. And he often gives come, uh, gives lots of sort of talks at various educational establishments. So he's... So I hear that he was mocked by Stephen Fry yeah. on his ambition of going into space. Yeah, so... Yeah, it seems a bit harsh. Yeah, it does, yeah. I think when he went... He was at school with Stephen Fry, and obviously Stephen Fry was a big bully... And said, "You'll never get to space, son." And he goes, "Well, I disagree with that." And, mm. Yeah. So he anyway and he, did. he did just a bit. He just a bit. <laughs> he absolutely smashed it yeah. out of the park. Yeah. When he left university, it says here he owned two pairs of jeans, a donkey jacket, a bicycle, and a pilot's license. Which shows you I had my priorities absolutely right. That's yeah, amazing. and he applied loads and loads and loads and loads of times to get into space. It was only after the space shuttle uh, Challenger disaster that he wrote a new CV, basically, uh, where he was very serious about his um, space ambitions, and they let him in. And I bet they, yeah. I bet they're glad that they did because he's he is one of the most you know uh, most respected astronauts of all time. Absolutely incredible. Hats off. He's going up into the Interplanetary Podcast Hall of Fame. Yeah, he, well, he's, he's definitely in the Interplanetary. We should definitely try and get an interview with this guy. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, to- wouldn't it? We have to talk about SpaceX, don't we, Matt? Oh, yeah. SpaceX. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's. Yeah, so it flew up from Pad 39A. So that's the, it did. the historic Pad 39A. So sick. I mean, watching that live was. Incredible! Oh my gosh, yes. So that's all brilliant, and uh, the dragon has successfully docked and berthed with the uh, space station as well. Yeah. So it's got its uh, very exciting cargo, loads of loads of things in in that cargo, and hot on its heels was uh, uh, the last ever uh, Soyuz U um, rocket with with one of the Progress um, yeah. missions carrying even more cargo to the International Space Station. Ace. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool as well. That was very cool. Uh, so, yeah, the Soyuz has been replaced by its upgraded version, so uh, that was the last of those rockets built. What else has been happening, Matt? I'll tell you what's really exciting, and you must be excited Go by on. this. So the brightest yeah. ever 
pulsar has been discovered in the universe. Whoa. And it's the furthest away and uh, that's been discovered. And it was done by ESA's XMM-Newton uh, telescope, space telescope. And I've, I didn't really know much about this space telescope, but it's... it's With its light travelling 50 million light years <laughs> before being detected. <laughs> that, How can you get your head around I that? I know, that is absolutely... And by your head, I mean my head. Or both of our heads. It's just, it's just incredible. We're just not designed to know these numbers, are we? We just We're not, can't really not. get my head around 50 million light years. And I'll tell you what, you've, you've got your head around some light years. I, I, so. in b- b- before, yeah, like, I can just about cope with yeah. four light years. <laughs> yeah. It's a proxima. Yeah. I can just about cope with 50 million light years. It's just ridiculous. What? 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 Oh, what? Yeah, that is amazing. But the bloke who's in charge of the ESA's XMM Newton has, mm. uh, this is how he describes it, Norbert Chartel. He says, mm-hmm. the discovery of this very unusual object, by far the most extreme ever discovered in terms of distance, luminosity and rate of increase of its rotation frequency, sets a new record for XMM-Newton. And it's changing right. our ideas of how such objects really work. So it's a massive... That's leap. cool. And, and I just want just, just a few stats about the XMM-Newton Space Telescope. I put a picture of it in the... Um, in the blog because it's it's a crazy looking space telescope and like I said I didn't really know much about it and it was supposed to last two years the mission duration but it's ended up lasting 17 years two months and 10 days and as we can see it's still making phenomenal discoveries yeah um it it was sort of built by people like Carl Zeiss (laughs) Mm. uh Matra Marconi Space which uh built the Talbot Rancho that my dad used to have. It was launched in 1999. Ah, okay. And it's got this kind of weird orbital, um, uh, elliptical orbit, where at some points it's at 5,000 kilometres away, or that's 3,500 hmm. miles away, and its orbit takes it right out to 70,000 miles away as well. I mean, yeah, yeah that's... Uh... That's a distance. Yeah, and it's sort of... I mean, it's not 50 million light years, but it's a it, distance. It's, uh, its main mirror is 28 inches, so I do have aperture em- envy there. Yes, you do. Yeah, because my, my... I think most people do. Yeah, because my, my telescope's only 8 inches. In terms of rocket launches, we've covered we've covered the Soyuz and the SpaceX. That was pretty much it since we last mm. spoke. And uh, yeah. we've got another Falcon 9 coming up soon as well. Aha, uh-huh, we have, absolutely. So one of the most exciting things that's happened very, very recently, is, and it all seems very, very rushed, this one, the first flight of the SLS, the Space Launch System, yeah, might actually be manned all of a sudden. They're, lo- they're looking at the feasibility of, yeah, sticking a crew on one of the, on, in the Orion capsule. Yeah. And actually, but yeah, making it a manned mission for the very, for, for the very first flight of SLS. They're looking at, why the change? Uh, do you know what? I really don't know why the change. He says, this is a great opportunity for us, for us to step back, reflect on what we're doing, look at the overall plan and see if any changes we want to make moving forward. Interesting. So, yeah, so it's just a way of them looking back and say, well, well why not put some men on top of this thing? Uh, yeah. And what's interesting is uh, there was a bookmaker in the UK... That a couple of years yeah. ago, Paddy Power, this was, was uh-huh. offering odds that the first US spacecraft to take humans back into space wouldn't be one of the Boeing or SpaceX uh, capsules, but this Orion, this Orion capsule. 
Now, they were taking oh. odds on that a couple of years ago, and they actually might be right. They might have, it might turn out they're right, which I think is pretty unprecedented. What, what did they know that we, yeah, we didn't? That's really exciting. Well, more to come on that, yeah, hopefully soon. That could be pretty radical. I mean, imagine that, being the astronauts sat on top of SLS. Bear in mind, SLS is even bit, bigger than Saturn V. Yeah, that's kind of hard to, that's hard to fathom. I'm going yeah, up on the huge. first time. So, yeah, it, it, essentially, the next SLS... The first SLS launch could be another Apollo 8 moment. Oh, that is sick. So, guys, um, before we go, let's keep the questions coming in because we absolutely love reading them. Any comments, please subscribe. Matt, what's the details? Uh, So the details are just go to www.interplanetary.org.uk. That's www.interplanetary.org.uk. The listenership has been has actually genuinely been rocketing. So please, guys, if there's subjects that you want us to cover, let us know. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us, guys. And um, we'll see you next week, I'm sure, for a very special episode. Do you know why, Matt? It's going to be one year since our first podcast. Can you believe it? Uh, Do you know why? I genuinely can't believe it. That's actually terrifying, isn't it? That has gone very quick. So, yeah, so this is goodbye from Podcast 23. Podcast Goodbye. 24 will be a very, very uber special one. But we don't know what, so we, we'll, we don't know what we're doing yet, do we, Jamie? We're st- no, we need to put our, our space heads together. Yeah, space heads together. <laughs> you, you have a lovely time in Portugal. Thanks, Matt. I wonder if Portugal's roughly the same distance to the International Space Station. No, it's actually further. Yeah, it could be. It's, no, it's further. It's much further. Maybe, I, maybe <laughs> I'll ask EasyJet if they can take a detour. Yeah, well, in fact, you're going further, so you may as well. Yeah. If anything, your journey's harder than Tim Peake's. How come you're not on the news? I know. Well, people don't... I, 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 they always ask me to be, but I, I don't want the limelight. <laughs> Which is why I'm doing a podcast all about space. Oh, yes. <laughs> Genius. Sick. Sick. OK. Cheerio, everyone. All right, then. Bye-bye. All right, dudes. Well, um, I will...